everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. Um, this is a special episode because I am here with my podcast producer, who also has his own podcast, which we'll go into in just a couple of minutes. But this is a recap of season one, and just going to go through and talk with Chaz about uh, great memories that we've had as we've gone through, gosh, 22 and now 23 episodes together. So welcome, everybody. Thanks so much. I am Ashwini Prasad, your host of the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I'm going to give it to uh, Mr. Chaz Volk to introduce himself. Hi, Ashwini, and hello to all of the listeners of the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I'd like to say that it's absolutely a privilege when I get invited onto one of my clients' shows. It's honestly just a, a testament to the relationship that I really focus on building. And uh, I want to thank Ashwini just for having me. It's absolutely fantastic to be here. Uh, as Ashwini mentioned, I produce the Mr. Thrive podcast, which pretty much was the fledgling that uh, inspired the Mr. Thrive media. If you guys go ahead and check that out, but we produce podcasts and regularly host networking events for artists and creatives. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. And I will say Chaz and his team puts a lot of work into the monthly events. I highly suggest we check those out. And so Chaz, just really quickly, let us know how we can uh, look at your events and all your offerings. Where can we find that information? Absolutely. So if you go on to mrthrive.com, that is mrthrive.com, you can check out the service of podcasting and networking events. There are two tabs right up front. We also have a lot of our blog articles that are educational resources that are designed not just for our own personal SEO purposes, but to actually teach and help you grow as an artist or as a podcast producer. So we highly recommend you check out those resources and utilize them to your greatest advantage. Awesome. I love it. That's why we're partners because you you give as much as you get, Chaz, uh, maybe even more giving. So that's why I love uh, partnering with you on this. So it's very kind of you to say thank you. Yeah, to set the stage for our listeners and maybe our viewers on YouTube is today we're going to just do a recap of and have an honest discussion about uh, all 22 episodes so far that we've been able to produce in this year. So the first thing, uh, my, I interviewed Bhavani Rowe, my, my friend, and she is a producer. She did American Desi back in the day. And what I loved about her is I asked that staple question in the podcast, right? How can we be more inclusive in our lives? I asked that to all my guests. And I remember her saying that inclusion means like on production and if you're on set, it's not about having just South Asians on your in your production, everywhere from cast to behind the camera. Inclusive means everybody and having the opportunity for everybody to be there. And I thought that was such an important uh, conversation piece that in, sometimes when we think about inclusion, it's almost like we can other put others into a, a bucket and, uh, and do an othering of folks. But she really brought in how we can be inclusive by incorporating many different folks, having a variety of folks, instead of thinking of production sets as a monolith. And I love the way that you described what Bhavani really preaches and how she practices that in her experience. I think if you look at what she's describing out of context and you watch the, you pay attention exclusively to the background. I'm, I'm talking about the physical background of where she's sitting, right? Well, you very much see that there's a lot of her culture very much displayed along her bookshelf and mm-hmm. what you see. Out of context, you think that she's only about the inclusion of her community. But really what she's saying is you should take pride 
in the culture of your community. You should embrace everything about you that speaks to your identity and how your heritage plays a part in that. But what you don't do is you only make it about you. And so your personal spaces can be that, but the professional atmosphere that you put yourself into is meant for all kinds of people, all kinds of genders, all kinds of sexes, all kinds of religions, all kinds of cultures. Um, and, and that's really one of the most beautiful things about her. And so I really did enjoy that. And one thing I didn't get to say that I really uh, am thankful for is that as the podcast producer who is working hands-on with each, each and every one of my clients, when I look at this content, I become every client's first student. And uh, Bhavani did just that. Uh, it taught me a lot in that episode. And I just completely resonated with what she was saying. Yeah. And I love how you're bringing up exactly take pride in who you are, be who you are, like definitely authentically show up. And also how you can include so many people just by being authentic, just by being who you are. I love that point. Thank you for that, Chaz. That makes Thank so you. much sense. That was really cool. And so, yeah, that was like my first, and it's funny when I think about it is that I actually recorded that episode in like October, 2020. So almost over a year, like 14 months from this conversation today, you know, and it's interesting as a podcaster, how you put up, like you have at least three to four uh, episodes under your belt, right? Before you go live, just because <laughs> scheduling and getting people to, to be on your podcast. So it's amazing that, yeah, it's 22 episodes, but this is been gosh i think you and i spoke like in august of 2020 and then you know the first episode recording happens in uh in october 2020 so yeah definitely so you've been a student for over 14 months <laughs> that's right and it's been a fantastic course and it's been eye-opening really yeah. has. Well, the next one, which I loved, was I got to also interview a friend. I don't know how I get to be so lucky to be able to meet so many great people, but Bamba John Bamba and what, you know, his big thing, and we see it in the episode for those that are on video, is that he has Wakanda in his background because he was cast in Black Panther. He is in the opening scenes of where Lupita's character comes in and is helping a village escape from from militant leaders and he was also in the good place so if that name or, or that his face looks familiar it's because he was in black panther and in the good place and i remember you know when I, again when i asked him the question about how we can be more inclusive in our lives what i really loved in his answer was that he didn't make it about himself and he spoke about supporting uh folks that are um, houseless and homeless and i thought that was just such a beautiful part of his advocacy and who he is because he's also a DACA recipient. And so he really advocates for um, dreamers to be able to get citizenship and, you know, not have to worry about papers. And when I asked the inclusion question, he just focused on others. And it was just so like a testament to who he is as a person. So I, I was actually thinking of talking about this with a friend of mine who works in homelessness and mm -hmm. She's very passionate about dealing or, or helping or trying to bring equity to people experiencing homelessness. One thing she has inspired me to do is to talk to um, people experiencing homelessness and to connect with them as human beings that they are. They're just having a hard time or they're down on their luck. I mean, you know, 
all they want is to be seen. And even if you don't have money to give them, you can offer them a, hello, how are you doing today? How's your day? Or like she says, hey, are you getting your services? Hey, call this number. Like we, there, there are people out there who may not even know what is, what is available. So a way to be inclusive in our lives every day is to find out what's available for homeless people. And when you see them and run into them, you know, offer some, some positive energy and maybe even information that can help them out this situation. By nature, he is a giver and he really does pay it forward from his experiences with DACA. I remember after that episode ended, I had to go and rewatch Black Panther and it was fun watching Black Panther kick his butt. It was really fun. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, he, he is an up and coming star that I'm so excited to see grow and and represent uh the african-american community so well i i I just i thoroughly enjoyed his energy and uh what he has to give uh is is honestly you know not to be under underestimated i think he has he's gonna have a huge impact in the years to come yeah absolutely yeah and it's so great and he's also an immigrant from the ivory coast and so he brings this uh he left you know uh, not when he was a baby so he remembers the ivory coast and so bringing that in as an african artist is so important and i loved having that conversation with him and he is he's just another giver like it's all these like in in hollywood in general you're gonna have some folks that you're like ah but the vast majority i wonder if you found this as well um it's it's people are giving like they really do want to help they may not have the time for everybody or give the attention that they would really want but i've noticed people are really big on just giving like they really are wanting to support folks absolutely and it actually this isn't related to your podcast this is a book that i've read uh that i think speaks on that there's a fantastic book that i talk about quite often called the go-giver and the go-giver is a fable that is written as a business book and it's kind of a weird interest it's an interesting blend of genres right there but you learn about the main character joe who is trying to get ahead in his world. And what he discovers that the only way to get ahead in your life is to give. And the book defines five laws to stratospheric success, success and in which, and how to give and how to put yourself out there in this authentic way, how to increase the people, like what is the value of increasing the number of people that you're hoping to help? And what does it mean to really uh, receive at that point? And it's, it's, totally irrelevant to what what this this character is talking about so it's awesome yeah bamba john is a huge huge about giving and is one of the most amazing personalities and really proud to be able to call him my friend Uh, very sweet person so we ended up moving and one thing that i really try to encapsulate in season one is also some shorts and what's important for me, which I'll also highlight um, about what season two is going to be about, is being able to tell stories of people who have been marginalized or erased and how we can create safe spaces for people in this industry. And when I, not just Hollywood, right? Like entertainment, that includes comedians, it includes musicians, it includes actors and talent, like all of them. And so this was one story that's been part of me for a couple of years now, and it's really nice to put it on my podcast, is um, The Real Lone Ranger. And it, you know, it's always been represented as a white man 
But really, most likely, the Lone Ranger was a black man, a fugitive slave named Bass Reeves, and he was able to um, learn indigenous languages as well to survive. And uh, he event eventually became a deputy marshal, uh, you know, and west of the Mississippi. And uh, you brought up an interesting point about uh, understanding and learning this history from a TV show, which I want you to be able to elaborate on. Absolutely. So Bass Reeves is portrayed in this big reveal in this show, The Watchmen, HBO's The Watchmen. And if you're a fan of the graphic novel, uh, then you're going to love this, quite frankly. If you haven't already gone and see it, I, I think everyone should watch it. The amazing thing, though, is that in a lot of ways, The Watchmen predicts a lot of what happened in 2020. I mean, it's very much in line with... Uh, how I felt around the time of the George Floyd of, of George Floyd's death. That was a very visceral time for me because well, the Watchmen had come out in January of 2020 mm -hmm. and I hadn't gone and seen it yet. And then uh, going into the pandemic, which was March, 2020 uh, shortly after that is when George Floyd's death had occurred and kind of a lot of things at once were happening. We were getting used to quarantine. There were protests happening outside and i remember it was me and my roommates who were kind of huddled up and one thing that uh my roommate izzy and i had done was we sat and we binge watched the watchman mm -hmm. and first of all it was absolutely eerie because the first thing we noticed in the watchman is that everyone's wearing masks and because they're trying to hide their identity and here we are in this new world getting used to the mask mandate mm -hmm. and then following george floyd's death came to the point of talking about well, who is Bass Reeves and who is the who who is the, the modern day character that they're portraying as the parallel to him, you know, the son of the son of the Lone Ranger. So you have to go and watch the show. I do not want to reveal more, but overall, this this had a, a certainly visceral impact for me to to kind of see that episode. And it's only two minutes and 15 seconds and it has such a good impact. <laughs> So. Well, what was interesting, too, is that in Watchmen, right, is that like people got their education about black history, not from school, but from the show. Like people didn't know about uh, Bastards. They didn't know about the Tulsa massacre. Mm -hmm. and, and it speaks to the power of storytelling. Um, and, and I think podcasts are, are part of that, of this being able to talk about these different groups of people um, who really should have their own hidden figures movies you know, made about them or even a mini series so that we can really learn about them. And that's why I love these shorts um, that are part of the podcast, because it gives a quick glimpse of, of an opportunity to learn about this group or, or people. And, you know, my hope is that someday people will be like, oh, let's do a movie about them. Let's do their, let's give them their just desserts in a very positive way of um, showcasing them and making them household names. So that was my first uh, short, which I really loved. And then the next episode, um, episode five, uh, with my friend Celia Daniels, um, that, it was the first one that I put a content warning in because it was kind of a 180 from a Bass Reeves and the conversation went to uh, being a trans musician, being a trans advocate and what that means in this space. And what's interesting about Celia is that Celia also identifies as a father and a husband. 
uh, but Celia uses uh, she and her pronouns and very much, you know, enjoys wearing uh, what is traditionally um, commonly uh, would be known as women's clothing, uh, but still identifies as a father and husband. And that identity is so important to her. And the content warning came because of Celia's uh, horrific background and uh, what was done to her um, at very a very young age. Yeah, very disturbing. Uh, and I really did appreciate, though, what Celia, Celia's courage and her slogan, uh, you know, from the bathroom to the boardroom, that they're intertwined to what happens in these conversations and what people do in what's supposed to be a quote unquote private space, but it impacts our world. And Celia is also a business person. So Celia is very much into the know about what what it means about bringing understanding and advocacy of trans lives from the bathroom to the boardroom. Absolutely. And for me, one thing I recognized as I was editing and producing this episode is that Celia's greatest strength is her vulnerability and being able to be authentic and not hide the truth and make sure to come from it, come to it from an educational standpoint in order to attract those people in society that just needs to hear the story uh, yeah. for the sake of getting to that next part in their life. And the I understanding, I, yeah. You know, and, and I think especially in the world of business, we're told do not be sensitive, do not be vulnerable, do not go too personal. I think when we look at uh, the stereotypical business room, we're thinking of a of a of a boardroom with white caller executives who are white and standing in front of charts and talking about anything but emotions completely relying on the left brain whereas a matter of fact especially from my personal experience business is not like that at all mm -hmm. and celia absolutely puts her most real foot forward and makes it very clear how she wants to be respected and treated and identify in the world uh, without staying in the norms while still getting ahead in business and helping those and elevating others in her community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's one thing that's amazing about Celia and just being there. And you're right, like the, it, we need to change our images of who people are in certain positions. You know, it's kind of like the, the thing, you know, you talk about a doctor to a child. Who do they see? Do they, <laughs> is it only just a cis a male, right? And, and changing those dynamics and that because a person looks a certain way or doesn't match up to your thoughts or ideologies of what a person should be, it does not change um, that there's variety in people and that there's variety in, um, in who should be in different positions, which I think Celia brings in beautifully. Yeah, it was a great, it was a hard conversation, but it was a very important conversation. And it was easy to talk to Celia. And she sent me a song and she has a most beautiful voice. It's just, yeah, multifaceted. I forgot, I forgot that she was a singer. Mm -hmm. right. about that. Yeah, yeah, so amazing, so amazing. So talented. I know, I love it, I love it. We love our friend Celia. The, um, <clears throat> I usually say this is being an ally for the community is, um, a-L-L-I-E-S, allies, right? So A is first is acknowledging your privilege that you are who you are, um, especially for people like yourself. You know, you are, you are, you need to acknowledge your privilege as to you're not trans, but you have the ability to help people like us. So that is acknowledging your privilege as to who you are. 
then you have to listen. Mm-hmm. And um, the third one, third uh, L is, uh, the second L is uh, learn to unlearn a lot of things because there's a lot of unlearning that needs to be done. And also I is basically for instigate tough conversations in the industry that you are in, in the media industry, instigate those conversations because it's not about just giving an award to a movie that is just a trans representation, but there are a lot of people who are hiding today. Yes. So instigating the tough conversations is important. Ease education. You know, you need to educate even in the media industry. I have read a lot of scripts from different movie industries. Two executive producers had asked me to look at some of the scripts and give my input to it. Mm-hmm. So I've done that. And the last one is S. So S means you have to support the trans community by getting involved with what they're doing. And, uh, you know, if you want to make a movie for the tra- where you have a trans character, then you need to educate the crew also when you're working with them. Yes, yes. Um, especially when you're a script writer, the, the crew. Um, I remember the transparent um, with Jeffrey Tambor, what Jill Solvay had done. She had educated the entire, they had educated the entire crew. And the, the folks that they got involved where a lot of opportunities were given to the trans community. And I did not get a chance to act, but a lot of my friends were in that in the show. And I was really happy that they did a great job, except for the scandal that came up and it completely destroyed the whole uh, show. No. But it was, um, it was made really well. And I think that if we want to change, the media has the power to do it. I'm going to have to send her this and be like, hey, we talked about you for a long minute. Send this to every single person. Absolutely. I will. I will. I will. Absolutely. So then the next like several episodes, actually episodes six through 12, uh, were focused in on uh, AAPI. Now, you know, it was important for me for several reasons, these episodes that spanned like three months. Um, One, unfortunately, was uh, the horrific killings and shootings that happened in Atlanta, Georgia um, at the end of March with... um, what appears to be, you know, uh, a gunman who went after uh, women that were uh, look like or were had ancestry from uh, Southeast Asia, and it. I remember learning about it, and like the next day, I literally stayed in bed for an entire day because the women that were killed look like uh, my my friends' parents that I grew up with. And I just, I couldn't move. I couldn't function. It was just so hard. And this is where people who can just move about their day, that's their privilege, you know, because I couldn't. I literally could not move. I, my brain was so foggy. I couldn't process anything because of the trauma uh, of, of these stories. And, and, and then the next month, there was um, what appears to be a gunman who was targeting Sikhs, you know, people who lo- literally do look like me. And they were targeted and killed. And it was just, in terms of my advocacy, it was like, what can I do? You know, what can I control? And it went into this arc where I really spoke about um, Asians. And I was had the privilege of uh, talking to Nicole Goh, who works over at Staff Me Up currently. And Staff Me Up is a production company, and they bring in um, staff to for production sets. And what was really important when I asked her, you know, how can we be more inclusive in our lives? Uh, she said, listen. And I thought that was so powerful. You know, if we could just really listen, not get defensive, not be like, oh, well, no, maybe they meant that or this is it. If we could truly listen when people bring up 
when they when they're being vulnerable right and when they're sharing something so deeply and personal not to be dismiss, dismissive but to listen to folks when they um are talking about their stories and their experiences like i wonder how much of the world we could change if we all truly listened and i think that listening doesn't just let people feel heard it is an act of leadership and respect that isn't happening enough. I, and, and to your credit, Ashwini, you listened. And you, I, I remember when that happened, I saw you take on a responsibility. And, you know, from my perspective, I didn't know about uh, you in that bedridden state. I wasn't aware of that until just now. And I'm, it's understandable. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. Uh, as as someone who is Jewish, who can empathize with uh, what you've experienced, we, you know, in our community, we experienced a very similar experience with the uh, Pittsburgh uh, uh, Tree of Life shooting that took mm-hmm. place. And when I see other communities going through the same exact thing, whether it's the Sikhs, whether it's the Asian community, it's disturbing. It, it hits my core in the the exact same way of seeing people who are like me, looked like me, prayed like me, killed for just being born. That was their only crime was being born. Yeah. You went forward and started to create content focusing on what you could do. And these for me were the most important episodes that you created. Uh, It was in a time where that advocacy needed to be had. And, you know, we've seen progress occur in the world since then, you know, there, there have been, you know, policies passed uh, to protect specifically the AAPI community. And, um, but not the black committee is that, you know, it's so it's just like the Emmett Till bill is still, you know, not passed. Yeah. It's it's just goodness. Yeah. And I think, you know, like to your point, right. It's listening. And then what do we go beyond? We can't just be, we can't be stuck in listening. action like you're just exactly saying it's action and yeah you know when i hear about the anti-semitism in north america not just the united states but north america it pains me because that it's like yeah like you said i shouldn't have to change how i worship uh what uh, you know race quote unquote i was born into it's like we're being punished for just living and that makes zero sense. And the, you know, in terms of content, like media has a huge part to play in regards to how people view certain groups. And it is a responsibility um, that I choose to take on. Not everybody needs to take this on, but I choose to as a content creator to be in spaces where I, you know, if we can begin to understand each other, maybe we can stop this violence and let let each other be in a space where we can really reconcile and live harmoniously. Like, can we do that? <laughs> like, I'd rather debate policy than debate morality in people's lives. And it's amazing that we're at this point that we even have to debate morality. I, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. if it's not a big deal for me to talk with someone who has different opinions about how fiscal structures should be managed and, and uh, general, generally speaking, but so more often than not, these social policies cross into moral policies and it's like how are we still at this point yeah how are we still at this point where basically old white men in who who have been elected through this uh this uh funded 
popularity contest decide moral decisions for such a wide group of people how is that possible how is yeah, that and why is it possible yeah right. yeah you know? yeah and we want to see ourselves right and we want um, more bills to be passed but also changing people's hearts and minds just in general and that's where that this arc that i did was meant to showcase and so as i look through you know what we what we were able to produce i talked about the asian influence in old hollywood and these wonderful characters that really have become into uh not into popular culture even though they should be i talked to my friend zozomo in episode nine and um he used to uh he's a great fashion guy and he used to do shopping and clothe damon wayans and what was really interesting with him when we were talking is that he went to parsons school of design and fashion and i asked him i go hey you know do you when you were being taught did you get get any information about like you know textiles from china or others and he said no you know it was still very uh European or white-based fashion in New York City, out of all places. So it just never made sense. And it was a really good conversation to speak with Zosimo Maximo. He's another friend of mine. And just being able to understand the intersection of inclusion and, and fashion and his uh, big thing around streetwear and how it came from uh, different cultures and the influences. So it was really big. And I really tried to also focus in on Bollywood. You know, there's not just Hollywood, there's Bollywood. There's uh, and now we're seeing so much great content like out of South Korea, which has always been there. But now we're finally like, um, you know, the Parasite director said, if you can get over past those little subtitles, those one inch subtitles, you're going to have a whole new world of content to look at. Squid Game, right? right. Uh, and it was just trying to get that into uh, people to understand that. And then towards the end there, after Bollywood, I spoke with Nikesh, who's this wonderful South Asian podcast uh, content creator as well. And what was cool about Nikesh is that I, I love well done thrillers and horror. I don't often find that, but he does it really well. And Nikesh is just brilliant. Uh, being a South Asian man living in Sydney, Australia, focusing in on Indian noir, which is a podcast about horror from with South Asian characters, which I thought was just super brilliant. And then I ended it, that arc around the AAPI community or Asian um, Pacific Islander community uh, was talking about this term Anglo-Indians which are um, those at the beginning, it was actually British folks that were colonizing India. Then it became um, uh, Anglo-Indians were those that were uh, parents were of British and South Asian descent. And then it came now the term has morphed into people who are of Indian descent living in Britain. And I gave some examples of some popular folks like Freddie Mercury is Anglo-Indian of the latter um, example. And Ben Kingsley is somebody who is uh, with his parents. Like I think his dad is Welsh and his mom is South Asian. And his, like, his name is like, his given name is like Krishna Balaram Braj, like something like that. And I was like, what? And so it was interesting to see in episode 12, uh, all this influence of South Asians and Anglo-Indians in Hollywood and in me the music industry and everywhere. And just trying to let people know that these popular people that maybe are household names or we're listening to, they have a lot of diversity with them. And it's not up to them to do this fight or educate people, but they exist. And can we honor existing all of them if we truly want to honor them? 
in this talent that they give the world, can we also honor them in terms of who they are in their full authenticity? Boy, did you give me a lot of ground to cover (laughs) my reaction and what I'm doing. That's awesome though. So Zosimo was really fun. I really loved his attitude. And I think something that you said about the uh, director of Parasite saying, if you get past the, the what was it, the 10 centimeter? The one, the one inch subtitles. <laughs> right, the one inch subtitle, you're going to open up a whole new world. And it's true, you know, I think that um, Asian mediums have been so disregarded in, in a lot of different ways. And I think recently, uh, we've really come to embrace Asian uh, media. And stepping aside from your show for one second, in, I actually just recently started serving uh, the guy who introduced the guy who introduced animated the West. His name is Stu Levy, and he is this guy from the valley who fell in love with Asian culture. And he lived in Japan for a little while, and now he lives in Germany. And he owns a company called Tokyo Pop, and he helped with bringing anime and manga to the West. He's someone I'd actually like to introduce you to, Ashwini. Um, when it comes to the Korean boom that we're seeing right now in American media, you know, we saw Parasite. We just, uh, we, we the whole world blew up from Squid Game, right? Korean pop, yes. Korean pop, you and know. Like, operas, there, yes. There's a huge <laughs> Korean boom right now. And, you know, we're realizing that that one inch subtitle shouldn't be the thing stopping us from enjoying good content not to mention by the way going back to anime going back to more japanese culture uh cowboy bebop just had his live action which is introducing an even broader spectrum mm-hmm. of people to uh to to uh what japan has been able to create and and the content that they've been able to create and there. has been creating for decades like yeah. bollywood's been around for decades anime has been around for decades yeah. you know it's not new like this creativity and content creation has been going around uh and has been happening in many parts of the world so why can't we share it in north america yeah well said well said absolutely um and I think that it has the most meaningful and impactful, uh, it, it has the most meaningful and impactful content made domestically when you're looking uh, internationally for, for that influence. By the way, uh, I bet you, I, I'm going to bet $1 million <laughs> on the fact that one wow. of the listeners who would be listening to this podcast is a Star Wars fan, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's well, a safe bet. <laughs> right? So Star Wars... I guess I just earned a million dollars, by the way. There you Star go. War- yeah. <laughs> Star Wars uh, was from the, was inspired by Seven Samurai, which was mm-hmm. Kurosawa, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Asa Kurosawa, right? Okay. Which then, I, this is vaguely familiar to me. Okay, keep right, going. Which, which then beloved Wild Western director Ford took to use in his Westerns, mm. to which inspired George Lucas. Wow. Who invented... Star Wars, who created and produced Star yeah. Wars. So yeah. you look at that, you look at that influence and you and you realize that there's so much more beyond the subtitle. You know, it, you, when you practice reading it, I, I think even subtitles, even if even if it's American content that that is in English, I, I really do think that there's a value to having to having the subtitles on there. So that way you're understanding the deeper, the deeper understanding of it, the deeper understanding of, of what's being written about. And it's beautiful. It really, it really does come down to this beautiful notion of, of 
really internalizing the script and understanding the full depth of it and, and, and embracing it. And what you mentioned, like being able to say like Star Wars is such a household name in so many households is the story of the influence outside of the United States. Is that also a household narrative? And it should be like that would be so cool that we would be able to know the impact of this great director and creator, you know, with George Lucas, that he was inspired by something outside of this country. Like, I think that's brilliant and it should be a household narrative. Absolutely. So, so important. So important. Yeah. Gosh, we're halfway through kind of all the seasons. So I, you know, episode 13 was special for me as well because uh, I got to interview the person who's in, who created the intro and outro music for the podcast. So uh, Kevin Miller and uh, Kevin was really great because he, his song was actually in a Gabriel Union movie uh, several years ago and he kind of rose to popularity there. But what was interesting as I was speaking to him, he was very vulnerable uh, of his experiences of being a black man in the Pacific Northwest. And he talked about this, um, you know, even though who he is and he's this wonderful entrepreneur and he's another giving person, uh, he was recounting just uh, for him, it was recent at that time, uh, he was at Target and he was just shopping and um, he was going to leave. And the, I think the alarm went off and like it does for, <laughs> I feel like every fourth person that goes through any one of those beepers it beeps and a man physically put himself during you know during covid put himself between kevin and the door and was like going to search kevin and uh, did not work this person did not work at target but was going to search kevin and the thing that you know that i think is so important to realize is that uh, kevin has a defibrillator and he goes into the history of why that happens in the episode and you know any cause of stress can cause Kevin to go into cardiac arrest. So Kevin's shopping and there's a man that comes and literally blocks his way of leaving, even though there's somebody at the door, a target employee that can show a receipt and then you're on your way. But some, this person who was a white person took it upon himself to stand between Kevin and the door and kind of act like this judge and jury over Kevin shopping at a Target. And that stress, what that person does not realize and other people don't realize, could cause Kevin to go into cardiac arrest, you know? So thinking about trauma, thinking about, I don't, you know, I hate framing it that way, but it's an honest conversation of like this, these are the things that are the impact. And let's not even go into like, you know, Ahmad Aubrey and everything else that we've seen of people trying to be judge and jury on black bodies. And it was just nonsense. And it's like, and this is somebody who is so successful and offers so much to the world. And that one instance of, and it's not just the only instance, he was only recounting one instance. He actually recounts another instance uh, where he was working at Microsoft and he was uh, being judged and he was, you know, basically being discriminated against. And, and this is, you know, just like a, a small conversation, 45 minutes, and he's bringing up these examples. And it was just, uh, for me, it was just, uh, I couldn't believe it, you know, even though I do believe it of of him and his experiences of who he is as a person and what he has to go through being a black man in this society. I had the privilege of inter interviewing him myself on my show. I've, as soon as I heard his story on your show, I had to bring him onto my podcast as well. There was a lot of cross interest and he is another example of someone who is willing to be vulnerable and talk about a story between his physical health 
to uh, the mental health that comes with, you know, dealing with the trauma of, you know, that kind of bias, uh, prejudice put against him. Again, another example of someone who his only crime is the way he was born. Uh, and this covers a few different areas of that. And it's, it, you know, Kevin is a strong guy. He's a fantastic entrepreneur. And uh, his message and what he brings forward is seen every day in the work that he does. And I have nothing but admiration for that guy. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so glad you were able to connect with him. It's just so interesting. You bring up, you know, the word crime and it's just like, and that's some, uh, they're not a crime. You know, we're not no. born like that. It's what society is kind of imposing on us. And it's just like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it, it's like, poo, my brain just wants to, it hurts so much. It wants to explode when we think about these. Um, but these are happening to people in the entertainment industry. I mean, they're sharing our gifts with the world but they still have to deal with these issues. And that to me is just, it's not right. And no one should be an advocate unless they choose to. If they wanna be a musician, let them be a musician. They don't need to be the black musician if they don't wanna be. They don't need to be the, you know, the person that's that you're putting up there in terms of um, talking about race and racism in North America or in the United States or in Canada. Like it doesn't need to be, they don't, they shouldn't be brought into a conversation if they don't want to be. And I think that is that is huge that we need to to learn and understand. Yeah, <laughs> it's heavy stuff. I, know, so. I, I couldn't say it better myself. I couldn't say it better myself. Heavy stuff. And this is where I, I really, you know, episode 14 after Kevin. And thanks, Kevin, for being my person of uh, giving me my music for my podcast is I love the story about uh, Lady Cabell uh, and I love learning about different people. And, and I've always loved the Mayan culture. And this was about a Supreme Warrior um, lady. And, uh, you know, she was active in the Mayan civilization and was there. And uh, it was a nice little short to do to learn about her and present her to the world because it was fun learning about a Supreme Warrior that's a woman because typically what we're fed is that they're not women right there or what we consider women or we would identify today as a cis female or a cis woman uh it's, you know we think about warrior what comes to mind like snap judgment and no judgment on on who came to mind but it's usually not a woman <laughs> so it was fun to highlight uh lady cabell Absolutely. And one thing that's, you know, directly acknowledged that using the the verbiage is uh, the act of degenderizing. Is that an expression? To degenderize sure. that word warrior. Um, just now when you had said, you know, when you hear the word warrior, what do you think of? And the first thought that came to my mind of all people <laughs> exactly. was, uh, was Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Right. I get um, it. I get which, it. By the way, would be a great person to have on this podcast someday. Let's go, uh, Dwayne. Let's do let's, it. We just manifested it. So boom. Manifesting. We're manifesting. Yes. But Dwayne, Dwayne, I'm oh, sorry, not Dwayne. Rush. I'm going to cut this. <laughs> um, Lady, Lady Cabell is about redefining what a woman is way, way, way before it's time. And, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's a fantastic story. And I think uh, can be used to further justify today's movements the same way that people tend to justify uh their actions based on old biblical texts yeah for sure exactly exactly and i also exactly and i wonder you know like we we're calling them lady warrior woman i wonder today how they would identify i always can it's always in the back of my mind like how would they identify today 
if uh, given where we are with term, pronouns and nouns and and things so I'm, and i always kind of think about that you know when i look at um look at these and i'll talk about that when we get to the pirates episode as well so episode 15 was with the wonderful Ms. Michelle Thrush, a wonderful actress um, and First Nations woman. And she's like in, worked alongside Del Toro and so many other Academy Award winning talent. And she has so many accolades. And she was another one that really spoke openly about growing up and how alcoholism affected her and her family. And you know what she does today as she uh, is a First Nations woman, actress, talent, and also an advocate and what it means for her to be in this space uh, and living in Canada and, and being this woman. It was a fantastic, fantastic conversation. And again, I just appreciated her vulnerability uh, of talking about her family and who she, what could have happened versus what happened and the trajectory of her life today. Well, understand the land you're on. You know, first of all, this land that we are here upon is, you know, it's been an indigenous land for thousands of years. And so I'm artistic director now of a theater company here in Calgary called Making Treaty 7. And it's all about exploring the land and the stories and, and the places that we live. And I would love to see you know, making Treaty 4, making Treaty 6, you know, British Columbia is unceded territory. So it's a totally different thing over there. But I mean, understand the land you're on, understand that, you know, life didn't begin when colonization happened here. For us, that's when, you know, things got shut down, obviously. But we as Indigenous people are survivors, and we're resilient. And there's a lot of stories that, you know, we have that are, are uh, that are just amazing. So um, yeah, I would say that. Agreed. That really does become a common theme on this show that makes it so special is the level of vulnerability that is shown. And um, yeah, I, I, I commend I commend her bravery. I love her story of triumph and where she's heading. And you know, I'd wish her luck, but she doesn't need it. No, she she is well on her way. I mean, it's just amazing. She received, you know, an award up in Canada that um, the name's escaping me right now, but she plays the mom in Schitt's Creek, uh, Catherine McGraw, Catherine, I'm trying to remember her last name. Uh, she shares the same award, you know, with, uh, with Michelle. It's like, yeah. oh my gosh, just huge, huge talent. It was such a pleasure talking with Michelle. And then also, and this is, we can manifest, I want Rita Moreno, and that was episode 16, so we talked to Michelle, and then I did a short on Rita Moreno, who I would love to have on this podcast, and just talk, because she is literally a national treasure, uh, she's approaching 100, she has had a magnificent, magnificent uh, story and life, um, and it's interesting because she was in West Side Story so many decades ago, and then this latest revision of West Side Story, they actually wrote in a, a character for Rita, which is magnificent, and being able to see her in West Side Story that brought her fame, that allowed her to showcase her, her culture and her talents, and now to do it decades later. Um, this woman is simply incredible. She has a wonderful episode on NPR that uh, it's a documentary about her and her life. I highly recommend it. It's just enthralling. Like, it's just like, I can't remember how long it is, but it's like 60 to 90 minutes and you're just glued because of the story and how amazing it is. I suggest to everybody to check out the Rita Moreno story. I got to go see that. That sounds absolutely phenomenal. And I think that 
when someone like Rita Moreno, you know, is on the latter part of their life, I think that sealing their legacy is so, so valuable because, you know, this is generations down the line that will hear it. How, how much of history has not been recorded? You know, we're luckily in this time where there's no excuse not to record something you're doing anymore. There's no excuse not to know something anymore, except for wasn't what wasn't recorded in the early stages of our development, <laughs> you know? So yes. I, I, I imagine that if we manifest it, it is very possible. Like some of the future guests that you have on the show that come a little bit down the line, I'm going to let you introduce them, of course. Uh, you have some pretty incredible guests coming up in this recap. Yeah, no, it's 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 really cool. And gosh, Rita is such a national treasure. And I just absolutely love her story and the Puerto Rican influence and how important the Puerto Rican culture and Puerto Rico is to the United States. It's it's and it's a conversation that needs to continue in terms of equity. So yeah, absolutely. The next up was Kalki, and I Kalki was another transgender activist. But what I love about Kalki is that within her community, you know, and sometimes I asked her this, you know, does she feel safe being in her community in Pakistan? She's like, yes. And she has created so much for transgender artists. She has created safe spaces for transgender artists in Pakistan and, and, and her influences around the world of being able to provide safe spaces for these artists to thrive and it is just amazing and she has a book out titled we are not the others showcasing all her work and i mean just looking at her name and googling her and she's just everywhere entrepreneurship award-winning creating all these wonderful safe spaces i mean she's just amazing and it was such a pleasure uh to talk with kalki and all the work that she's doing to really advocate the trans community and uh you know non-white trans community for her you know it's her she's living in the area so but for us with the North American lens, we could be like, oh, they're, they're a group that we may not know about as much. And so just to learn about the work she's doing to support her community and uplifting them was just so inspirational. And Kalki, for me, stands as a counter argument to something I heard recently in my personal life. I thought it was an interesting, it was an interesting perspective, and I did not agree with it by any means. But in the conversations that I've had where I'm challenging myself to speak with people that have different opinions than mine, someone said that transgender is not, the, the transgender identity is not something that is seen in other third world countries or other countries that are, <laughs> you know, that, that, there is this, that there is this focus only in first world countries because it's a privilege to to mm -hmm. be transgender. And I think that there is a privilege that comes with seeking identity and to discover your real self. But this stands as a counter argument in itself. This is just one of the many people out there that are just not paying attention to it enough and that it really comes to perception and the need to expand our horizons in pursuit of education and that the world doesn't work the way that you see it in your immediate proximity just because it's your eyes and your brain, that there is just, just such a big, vast world out there that just when you think you begin to know everything, you realize you know nothing. 
And, you know, the thing that I would counter, and, you know, it's just whoever this person is and others that may think this, is that there's words two spirits and the indigenous community has always been there. Uh, there have been in, in, in India and in Hinduism, I also, I'll speak to that, you know, there are statues of people with um, uh, breasts and then male genitalia on the bottom. Like, the, you know, and it was just, it's part of the culture. It's part, and whether Western colonization or British colonization changed people's minds, but when you look at the work, they were celebrated and they were part of the community. So this idea of being privileged, I, I don't know if the expression may be a privilege, I'm not sure about that, but actual transgender yeah. folks that like, and, and, and uh, you know, now we have folks that are transsexual, like that's, that's been around. It's been around for a very, very long time. I, I would argue since we've been around, you know, since humanity has evolved, these t uh, folks have the variety of folks that exist has always been here. The ability to feel safe in your own skin has not been. Absolutely, and it's it's very weird line. Uh, it, it, it was it was very weird for me to hear that, knowing you know the, the transgender journey that I've seen some of my friends personally go through. It's it was a very I had I had to have a conversation with that person when they said that I had to go into that very uncomfortable place of explaining that this is not a privilege that there's so much hardship that comes with being in a heteronormative society yep. that comes with you know discovering yourself and, and breaking against that and then being questioned by every person in your corner as to what your decisions are and what, what you and what doesn't feel like a decision so it, it's it's right very, you know very right. very yeah. weird and I'm I'm yeah yeah yeah, I know there's so much we can unpack there, but that's exactly right. It's like the inability to just be who you are and the lack of acceptance that we still have in society is just mind boggling. It's just absolutely mind boggling. And this is why we try to do this work, right? And push the needle forward and give opportunity, which um, my next guest, Paul Ninson, who was featured in Humans of New York, if folks follow that site and the work that Brandon has done, is that he's a photographer, a brilliant photographer. And he talked about his experiences of not having access, whether it was in Ghana or the United States, and, and the racism he faced when he came to New York. And and now what he wants to do, which is why I wanted to interview him, is just his ability to give back. And now he wants to build this wonderful learning center in Ghana where um, there's availability of cameras and, and equipment that people can go and just learn from, which he didn't have. And I thought it was just such a great story about him and coming here and learning and what he wants to do when he goes back to Ghana. And it's all motivated by his daughter, which I thought was so beautiful. It's a fantastic motivation and so wholesome uh, in, in its roots. I think that this is an example of being able to look at the resources you have and being able to just lead by example by putting out the right energy into the universe and being open to receiving, which is part of going back to that book, The Go-Giver. That's, that's the last rule of The Go-Giver is being ready to receive. Mm. Um, and, and this is a person who has worked hard, that has the right motivations, that once the world saw that and saw his true self, they're currently the world is currently in the process of giving back to him and it's it's beautiful that's amazing that is so great i love that 
And so the last few little uh, episodes we had here, one person we didn't mention that I loved also talking to was Zarna, and she calls herself the Indian auntie. And she's a riot, and she's just starting to blow up. And it was interesting when Zarna and I were chatting is that, you know, she she got inspired to go into comedy because of her daughter. And her daughter had asked people uh, to put in a jar um, things, special things about her mom. And the thing that always came up was Zarna's ability to make people laugh. And now she's been showcased on this show where she was a Lyft driver. And it was like a competition of comedians as they were being Lyft drivers. And it's just blew, blown her up. And now I see on her website all these areas she's booked. She's been on Caroline's. She's headlined at Caroline's in New York, which is this huge, huge comedy club. And it was just fantastic. And, you know, we also talked about representation as South Asians. And she was talking about how, you know, people have said, you know, she doesn't represent me. Zarna doesn't represent me. And that's fine. I, you know, the important thing is, is that Zarna's not the only, or she's not the last one. We, if you, even if you disagree with Zarna and you don't want her to represent you, that's okay. The goal is to have many different representations. Like I, I always talk about how I can, ha you know, imagine the number of detective shows that you are watching or could watch compared to South Asian led uh, stories based from Canadian or US companies. It's very small, right? The difference is so jarring when you look at detective stories versus South Asian led content outside of Bollywood. And so that's the point is that, and this was also important for me when I uh, saw Disclosure on Netflix is that, and Disclosure is about trans folks, is that yes, there could be, you know, trans folks that uh, hate themselves or are just sex workers. That is a real thing. But when Hollywood and the media uh, in general, in Canada as well, when they only show uh, trans folks one dimensionally, and that's the only narrative that we see in all this different content, that's the issue. We need to see trans folks in many different facets, just like we need to see South Asians in many different facets in their life. We need to see many different Indian aunties or Indian comedians doing this work and becoming common names, just like a Chris Rock or a Russell Peters or, you know, a, a John Mulaney. Like, make them also be and not have Zarna be the only one that's out there have many of hers out there which I thought was a fantastic conversation with her perspective and opinion is just as frequent as identity so why do we assume that there can only be a finite number of perspectives and identities that's you know that's just Love a thought that. it's something that I, I was just thinking of while you while you were talking is just that we come from this place of self-actualization and, and and i think that there's a large crowd of people out there who you know very much believe in in you know inclusion and whatnot but that same crowd of people we just can't limit ourselves to the finite number of perspectives and we have to be willing to have a dialogue mm -hmm. uh we have to be willing to put ourselves in a position of discomfort for the sake of of education and growth and that's another motif of this podcast is to kind of be very upfront about that and to not to not shy away from that notion at all. Yeah, and having the conversation of also knowing that your perspective may not be the right one. I think that's where we get in trouble mm -hmm. is when we're not willing to have conversations with others because our our way is right. And it's like 
gosh, there's so many ways you could change your mind. You know, I don't want to be held to what I said or did 20 years ago uh, because what I thought was right, quote unquote, back then, today, and the woman I am today is like things are fluid. And so I want to, you know, bend towards justice and what that looks like for me. And my hope is to be, you know, bring equity into the world, but I can't hold on to other things as being the only way, right? The only right way. And I, and my basis is of equity and what I can do and to others to reduce harm and create safe spaces. And like, that's, I guess that's my right uh, in terms of what, what I want in the world uh, and not as in like my right to do it is my right as in like that's where I would like humanity to go towards uh, that bent. But that can, there's a lot of fluidity of what that looks like. And I'm open to those conversations, but like to our earlier point, I'm not going to debate morality with you. I'm not going to debate my life with you. Yeah, definitely. So moving on as we kind of, you know, get to the last little bits of the podcast in season one, again, I, I wanted to highlight women and women that we may not traditionally see. So again, right, pirate, what's the first image that comes to mind? And it was so interesting, right? I know, right? I see Blackbeard, I, you know, that's the first image. I'll be honest and vulnerable with you all. But it was so great to learn about these women pirates and that there was uh, a woman pirate who was actually was bigger than Blackbeard, was in charge of more ships than Blackbeard. And why is she not a household name? You know, and it was just fascinating to learn about women pirates or women or what's defined, how they're defined today as women. It'd be interesting to, again, to see what, how they would define themselves. Um, I'll just use the term loosely, pirates that were women or women who were in charge of pirates. And it was just fascinating to learn about them. And it was so much fun to put this podcast together. And it's such a badass <laughs> it, it, it's 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 such a it's such a badass topic it's like this needs its own tv show right this needs to have its own script yes. a whole entire miniseries about women pirates i'm yes. sorry kiera knightley <laughs> but but we i want to see the real version that's not very polished that's even more notorious than blackbeard where yeah. is that story you know and she was you know from china so yeah where is that story I want, and she's in a skit with drunk comedy and it's funny, but it's like household names, people, household names. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So now we're in the, in November of uh, 2021 and it was so interesting. I got to talk with Lisa Caprelli, who's an abs absolutely wonderful, sweet person. And this is where, you know, as we're both podcast hosts and podcast guests, and this was interesting where... Lisa messaged me on LinkedIn of all places, not even my Instagram or Twitter or through my website, right? Through LinkedIn. And, and she gave me this highlight and I was like, boom, yeah, I haven't talked to a children's book author, you know, which is part of entertainment and media. And it was, it was just wonderful about her story about creating this character, Unicorn Jazz, and her ability of being able to say, this is kind of like who I would want Unicorn Jazz to be when I was younger. And it's not a redemption story or anything. It's just a true story of, of her being, how can I help students? How can I help children? And she created this character that could reminds her of herself and who she would want to be when she was younger and playing it out in this wonderful series of Unicorn Jazz. It's highly popular. And it was just so lovely to speak to her and just one, have a different type of media and a conversation in this podcast to end the season. 
and just learning about her thought process of creating children's book and being a children's book author. And I think Lisa needs to go and meet Brandon because here is, again, another example of being motivated by the right thing, listening and being able to act upon it. I, I, I really enjoyed Lisa's episode because it's she her attitude encompasses what a children's book should feel like I feel mm, like. yeah it, in yeah. fact in fact she does a, she, she does a particular action which is my favorite word it's my favorite word of all time you might think it's thrive based on everything that I've said so far <laughs> but it's not my favorite word of all time is actually the word inculcate mm. which does which means to do more than just teach but to instill attitude I don't think we should have teachers. I think that we should have inculcators. And mm -hmm. I think that Lisa is just that an inculcator. And I really do love what she has to put out there in the world. Well said. I like that word. That's definitely Lisa, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, the last episode, this was a short um, in, in the season. Uh, it was really important for me to really focus in on it. It was the 400th year of really genocide and oppression for indigenous folks in the United States. And so I focused in on the Wampanoags, which are the uh, First Nations group that's indigenous to what we call uh, Massachusetts and part of Boston and Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket, what we call today. And it was really important for me to help share their story to the world in regards to the fake stories we have about Thanksgiving currently you know they were not invited the wampanoags were not invited to the first thanksgiving even though they helped uh the puritans and these colonizers when they came and the celebration of of sharing is, is inaccurate and how we need to really if we can heal as a nation is to actually have truth telling and reconciliation from like the wampanoags and other groups we have to tell the truth first and, and listen and then act based off of what these groups are telling us will be reconciliation, not what we think as a dominant group of what reconciliation looks like. So it was just really important for me. And my biggest takeaway is, you know, I can't really celebrate Thanksgiving anymore. And when I really dig into the history and look at it, and I went to dinner at two places on thanks on U.S. Thanksgiving, and uh, one we were already all on the same page. You know, we shared a meal together and said hello as friends. We're all vaccinated. Do not worry, and we're all boosted. Um, but what it was is that we understood that this was not a day of celebration. And then when I went to dinner with my family, we had a conversation about it. You know, and my cousin was like, you know, I I. I'm going to quote unquote celebrate this because it's the first time I can really focus in on family in the year. And I was like, that's fair. I'm not going to take that away from her. But it was nice because I was with people who understood the Wampanoag story, who understood the genocide of the impression. And I didn't have to explain it to them. And I could both have a meal with people I care about and also mourn uh, this, this U.S. Thanksgiving Day as well. There is a value and there is a consequence to the truth. Uh, and this is a story that I think plays to both of those themes, the value and the consequence. And mm -hmm. something as beloved as Thanksgiving, I think can be modernized to a holiday that represents something more. But I think your attitude you know, is very responsible. 
And it's something that I overlooked during this Thanksgiving. But, you know, you, what you said reminds me of how I was taught Thanksgiving in elementary school. You know, I had to take, I, I had to, I shouldn't say had to, but I was assigned to cut little ribbons of paper and to uh, staple it and then to put it on my head with oh, little gosh. paper cutout leaves, uh, right. cutout feathers and to do a reenactment and then to tell the story of how the Native Americans joined the Puritans. Oh gosh. You know, so I, you know, we very much were, were, were taught in that same exact way. And then you grow up and <laughs> you hear more and more and more about it. And then you get, begin to read on it and you're like, wait, what I've heard is true. What are we actually celebrating? We're basically celebrating genocide. Um, right. I think the meaning of Thanksgiving should be modernized to something more relevant mm -hmm. than this false narrative. And maybe it should become a ritual to take action towards that education on a yearly basis for the uh, genocides that have happened here in America. I think when people hear genocide, they might be thinking of the Armenian genocide. They might sure. go and think of the Holocaust. They might think of these right. things that happened overseas. Right. And so long as it's overseas, we're the good guys and it's okay. And we're, we're removed from we're it. Okay. Mm -hmm. But America, as we all know, is tainted with an ugly history full of these spots that, you know, get undermined and, and overlooked on a, on a regular basis just because it didn't happen to the white man just because it didn't partake in that and by the way you know when it comes to the white man i technically am the white man i'm making commentary on my own you know origins i'm you know sure, european sure. i'm european by nature I'm, yeah. Right, you know, and some mind. Europeans wouldn't even be considered white. Like, you know, if we look at Spain, right, it's it's like and that that's a whole other conversation. But right. taking responsibility, I do agree with that. And and again, truth and reconciliation. And can we start with Thanksgiving, at least the U.S. Thanksgiving? Can we start there of tr really truth and reconciliation in the right. United States and in and, and Canada as well? So. Yeah, you know, and there's more conversations to come. So thank you, Chaz, for recapping season one and being my producer. I hope everybody enjoys this recap and uh, either go go and listen or re-listen to some of these episodes. Uh, for me, they were, all of them were fantastic, of course, but I'm biased. But I hope that this encourages people. And season two is going to be a little bit different, but I'm excited for season two. And it's nice, you know, especially as a podcast host, it's like, well, it's my content. So I get to create what I want. And so I'm excited for you all. And this is the first time I'm uh, launching it is that season two is going to be focused in on those hidden figures. And so uh, Chaz has given me this great idea of interviewing people who have really cool stories. So if you have a cool story, you know, feel free to contact Chaz or I. And if you know of a historical figure or somebody that would would make a really great movie or a mini series, I would love to hear from you. And that's what season two is gonna be. It's gonna be a series, a mix of shorts of me just narrating some great people and interviewing people um, sporadically as well of that have somebody they know that they really feel like is such a great story that is out there. So you can get a hold of us at me, inclusivescreenwriter.com, on Instagram, inclusive screenwriter. Easy way of getting to me. I would love to hear from 
anybody who knows about a really great figure that deserves their own movie or miniseries. I think that's going to be a lot of fun in season two, and I'll be doing shorts on different people as well. Yes, and, and Ashwini, one thing I want to thank you for, besides just you know having me on your podcast, which is a big enough privilege as it is, I think one of the things I'm so, so grateful for as a podcast producer is the fact that I have such a great relationship with all of my clients to the point where I consider many of them friends, including you. And I just, yes, I, you know, I want to, I want to thank you for the personal touches that you and I have been able to exchange and be able to work upon. And I, I cannot wait for season two because season two makes me the most excited first student this podcast <laughs> oh you're very sweet Chaz thank you so much for joining me on the inclusive storytelling uh, wrap up uh, season one wrap up so folks uh, yeah so folks remember you can catch me on uh, Instagram inclusive screenwriter or inclusive screenwriter.com and Chaz let us know how to get a hold of you again absolutely please go ahead and check out my website mrthrive.com that is mrthrive.com or feel free to reach out to me directly, chaz at mrthrive.com. And guess what? We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Go and follow us at Media on both platforms. We're there ready to support. We also have a networking group called currently the Mr. Thrive Network, uh, which you can find uh, the Facebook group for. Amazing. Thank you, Chaz, for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Catch you uh, in season two. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.